Hello everyone, welcome to From Door to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowheretonothingpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. Though we come to you every week from the United States, we've yet to cover what is widely regarded as the first American contribution to philosophy. And much like America itself, the philosophy developed out of a variety of backgrounds and influences, which has attempted to forge into a new, ruggedly individualistic identity. We'll examine that identity by tracing its roots and exploring its principles. Today, we're discussing transcendentalism. All right, so um, hmm. this was actually a listener request. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we are taking them on because we're serious about that. If somebody writes in and says, talk about this. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and I've been getting pitched some episodes um, word of mouth as well. Um, but uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll change the, uh, the email address. It's quite a, quite a, uh, long string of characters to, to write out. I'm hoping that's not keeping people from, from actually writing in. No, I like this one. It, it, it's <laughs> worded. Yo, why don't you talk about American transcendentalism? All right, we will. So can you give us a brief overview of what American transcendentalism is or was? Or it's interesting because I, I think is is. I think there's a resurgence, but let's talk about the original first. Uh, there, transcendentalism has some roots or tendrils in uh, some of the work of Kant and Hegel, among others. But it, it comes to uh, comes to be a, a thing with Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau, and uh, one of the um, Alcott's, the father of Louis May Alcott, and um, a, a group of people who took some heat for uh, people poking at them because of what they believed. So Emerson was the son of a minister and uh, had many brothers, and um, Harvard was a divinity school, a school for pastors. He decided he was going to go into that. He was well-read, but um, he was a pastor for a while. Uh, but he came to realize, and one of the things that gave him some notoriety was that he addressed a group of students uh, formally with a, a lecture, a speech, and uh, shortly thereafter, because of the blowback from it, uh, decided that he wasn't going to be a pastor any longer in the sense, because essentially what he said was that uh, the trappings of religion and the practices were uh, outmoded of an old style that people were doing a, a dead thing, really, with. And this was, this was not lightly taken <laughs> by, by many people. So transcendentalism really takes large, attentive root with, with Emerson. And basically, it, what it's about is, uh, and we'll get more into it, but what it's about is finding spirituality, uh, one's finding God in nature, 
and finding God in oneself. So it's it's a microcosmic view um, that that transcends that get that gets past the institutions of religion. Yeah, yeah. So I I think that that's a pretty good overview, and and it, it highlights a lot of the the interesting concepts about the philosophy that we'll dig into in more detail. So what were the influences and, and roots of of the philosophy? Where where did a lot of the, the thinking come from? Well, Kant and then later Hegel were used terms such as transcendental aesthetics and uh, transcendental logic, but the essence of it is that they were uh, first talking about essentially something we've talked about before in many different ways, but what can you know because of your senses? And then how can you know past your senses? Hmm. And so they're just trying to break that barrier, acknowledging the barrier, and then <laughs> going around it transcending it and 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 acknowledging that there is an intuitional and intuitive component to hum- the human mind and that we do formulate or or shape uh, reality because of those intuitions and so that was that was being explored more formally by Kant and then and then Hegel when he went from his thesis Antithesis synthesis was talking about what what can we know empirically, what what do we think we know beyond the empiricism, and then how do we put that together? Yeah, yes, yeah, so some really interesting stuff there, and I think that that's kind of the heart of what makes American transcendentalism so interesting is um, is this idea of okay a posteriori and a priori knowledge, right? Yeah. Like you talked about, Kant had wrestled with this and um, and Hume, right? Kant and Hume kind of on the opposite sides of um, where we fall with empiricism versus rationality. They weren't. Hume was very stringently religious. Yeah. And so- yeah, so I guess that would probably be the next question is, so what is the relationship to the ideas of Hume, Kant, and the Unitarian Church? You mentioned, um, you know, Emerson is a, um, you know, a Harvard uh, pastor for a while. It was the Unitarian Church that sort right. of both spawned transcendentalism, but also what transcendentalism was sort of reactionary to in some ways, right? Yes, because in, in the Unitarian Church, and I've, I've over the years, uh, often unattended some services, uh, I've found it, found it really uh, engaging in, in in some ways but uh the unitarian church as you might guess from the name was trying to break down barriers among sects of d- different groups and belief systems within the christian world and getting down to the basics uh and and part of those basics was to acknowledge the the natural world but but didn't get past the traditional sacred text. And the traditional sacred text wasn't as viably important to 
uh, Emerson. And, you know, and, and, that, and given the times that we're living in right now, where we're seeing a looming theocracy, where we're seeing that uh, people um, don't even recognize that church and state are separate, uh, it becomes very, very uh, important to some traditional uh, strands of religion to maintain that discipline of the text and telling people what the text means. Hmm. And Emerson, a part of uh, Emerson and, and, and transcendentalism and, and Thoreau uh, is the idea of self-reliance. In fact, known for that as a title of, in one of his pieces. And, 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 and self-reliance is not about the, uh, the idea that gets so twisted and used politically about everyone just has to depend on themselves for everything. No, <laughs> but it's about recognizing that you have to be true to who you are and, and listen to your own perceptions into the world and think about the world and not be told, think and find and feel, um, for yourself. There was, there was a lot of that in it. I know I'm wandering, but the- no, no, I, I think that you're hitting a lot of the basic points and, and I don't think that we're going to, we're not going to answer this question at this point in the show. I think this is going to be a little bit later in the show, but I think that it's good to highlight a couple different things, right? One, that transcendentalism emerged from the Unitarian Church. And like you said, the Unitarian uh-huh. Church was um, an attempt to break down the barriers between denominations and come to um, some mutually agreed upon core beliefs. Um, but transcendentalism, um, you know, in the in sort of the the early ages of burgeoning science, right? Um, Emerson looked at it and said, "Well, you know, there's some things. That, there's still some things, even in the Unitarian um, view of of theology that that don't jive, right? Some of these some of these miracles and some of these other things yeah. with what we know don't seem to really." correlate with with what we experience in reality and so are they important anymore right right what is that's what he's yeah yeah are they important so on that end you it can sort of be viewed as this uh, you know empirical skepticism right which is really where hume that's where hume went but but then in in uh opposition to hume right they're they're saying okay well we're not going we're also not going to fully um embrace empiricism or a posteriori no. um knowledge as the be all end all we're going to say that there are intuitional uh, a priori ways of of knowing things and so it really comes to this interesting crux and juxtaposition that we'll explore in a, in a little bit but who are so, so who are some of the major characters in the movement and what did they contribute right we have emerson and thoreau well, Emerson, stay with him for a moment, because he, Emerson was talking directly about a thing called the Oversoul, hmm. which, you know, sounds like something Jack Kirby would write in yeah. the Eternals <laughs> in the Mar- Marble Comics, and, and Jack Kirby was well-bred. Um, but the Oversoul is this concept, so you're going to have an, a direct relationship with God, but you're seeing God in nature. And, and so the Oversoul concept is, is he, he says, this is his, one of his statements, this is a quote that the Oversoul is that, that great nature in which we rest, that unity, capital U, within which every 
man's particular being is contained and made one with the other. If there's a divine spirit in nature, the human soul can make a direct contact and recognize the oneness of humanity. And and the and the I think part of what goes from Emerson into Alcott into uh, Thoreau and and the others is the, this notion that human beings are all collectively one thing, which is is human, and and even religions sometimes undermine that. Hmm. Um, and so you, to get past the old teachings is to become aware that. What really matters is what affects all of us as people. And so Emerson essentially created what we call, uh, what he called, he called secular humanism. Now, I know a bunch of people just turned off, turned off the screen <laughs> as soon as they heard that. Oh, oh toxic. Oh, poison. So Satanism. No. Um, secular humanism is the belief that what matters in our actions and our ethical actions and our spiritual searches is this life here. And one of his and one of each of the, of the transcendentalist viewpoints collectively was that the idea of always thinking toward the next life and what you do in this life is a reward for the next life or always trying to keep yourself distant from this life ruins being human. What's the point of being human if you're going to try to be distant from being human? It didn't make sense. Hmm. And, and so secular humanism is essentially the view that what matters is what we do today in the development of our souls and our, in, in the development of our relationship with God, in the development of our spirit or whatever one calls it, um, and, and our minds and our, and our humanity. And so it led to some talks about social justice. They didn't call it that. Uh, but it was social work. And for a while, Emerson held back from he, he said, no, the only social work one does is to better oneself. And that contributes to society. He, he took a turn on that when it came to slavery. And yeah. he became uh, very passionate about that and about women's right to vote. But uh, that became a collective thing. Yeah, really 30 years in advance of the, the movements Right of, of the abolitionists. Yeah, 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 they were they were um, looking at, at human rights in this way. So, yeah, we're seeing some interesting things, right, with um, this idea of of the oversoul and the, and the connection of um, human beings as as one thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it brings me to a <laughs> a documentary that I watched yesterday, right, on on National Geographic about insects and. Uh, Ants, little leaf cutter ants and their colony and how they work together, and then army ants and their colony, how they work together, and and this bee that is in Ecuador and, and how they work, and you have these things, and, and okay, you have these colonies of individuals, right? And they're all working towards a common goal and and succeeding these sorts of things. Um, and so, what's the role of the individual, and what's the role of of the collective? And transcendentals had very. Um, very specific views on how the individual fit into the role of society and, and how organizations and institutions and governments affected individuals. And we'll yes. talk about that. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's just something to keep in mind that this idea of, um, 
this idea of people being one thing, right? This and how individual actions, like you said, Emerson talking about how self-development is, is a way of affecting the world and humanity as a whole. These ideas sound pretty familiar, right? And they don't necessarily sound like they come from Western philosophy. So what did transcendentalism derive from Eastern philosophy? Honestly, much of what you just said. Uh, I think the whole idea of transcendence, which is an ancient Latin word, but which starts to really get used in in, uh, the Middle Ages, is is about surpassing, going over, or going behind, uh, to surmount, to step beyond, and and when you're concentrating so much on individual perception, that's that's not what sacred text is often about. It's it's often about a collective, but but what about Let's use it with lowercase z. Is the Zen of the moment? We've talked about the moment. Or what? What? If, if one stares long enough at a tree, what is one coming to realize about nature? And we we have a great park near us. People come from all over the place to see Letchworth Park. Well, they're seeing all the colors in fall, or they're walking along. But if all if if all, okay, so you're seeing things, but are you really seeing them? And if people take a long enough hike, or they sit by the water and become transfixed by the, the sound of the water, sometimes you come into the quietest moments and you realize things about yourself or about the world. And it's not always a happy thing, and it's not always a, going to lead you to an immediate action. But that is more of an Eastern form. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question, and, and this is, might be jumping too far ahead in the conversation, but I, I don't want to lose it, we'll and I feel like it's relevant it. right here. It. Yes, yes, yes. So, you said something that had an intro- interesting spatial relationship, and so I'm going to just throw the question out there. Okay. You talk about transcending as, as going around or over um, something, and we're talking about how transcendentalism you know, shared some values and was actually influenced in, in many ways by Hindu philosophy, yes. Eastern philosophy, right? Yeah. And now, I... It's funny because I didn't think about it until you said that, but I also think of transcendental, transcendentalism as as surmounting something. But I almost think of Eastern philosophies as transcending through mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, that there's anything there that that is actually cogent to to the differences between the two philosophies. I do, and and I will use a very strange metaphor or simile for this, because it's going behind, mm. as if to go behind the scenes. <laughs> well, you know, all the quantum, the quantum world is not the world that we see, but there it is. Uh, so yeah, that and and Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer was the thing about the Hindu and. I hate that it used to be spelled H-I-N-D-O-O. That's how in the in the nineteenth century it was handled. But uh, this past week, uh, I was at my father's house. I was working on a room that hadn't been touched since nineteen sixty. It, it had terrible ceiling panels, all kinds of stuff up underneath those panels that shouldn't be one shouldn't be exposed to. I put on masks, I had goggles, but I was curious. And I'm prying these panels off, and they're falling. And finally, I get to this horsehair 
laugh, which is an old, old way of, of, of building walls and ceilings. And, and the wall, but I found also after taking that off that the wall, walls themselves are covered with uh, a material that it's a kind of board, but it's almost like cardboard compared to what we have now. It's not, it's not drywall, much thinner. And I could reach my hand down in behind the wall. And I tap the wall, it's hollow, and I'm realizing, well, we're probably going to have to take that off too to fix the room. But I was thinking about this idea of behind when I, my hands, my gloved hand was down <laughs> behind this and thing. I've got all this protection on myself because I'm going into material that is not going to be necessarily healthy for me. But that's not the fault of the material. It's, it's what age has done. But once I get that done and I can, I can take the mask off, feel behind the wall, what am I going to find? There's something else there. There's something more solid behind the thing that's not quite as solid as we thought it was. Hmm. And that's partly a transcendent thing, too. Um, that anybody who's ever worked on a house will have had that, that experience in one way or another. There are things there we can't see. Do we want to see them? How far do we go in taking things apart? Are we going to make a worse mess? Uh, and, and that's always a risk if you, if you go too far with um, any kind of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it seems to me that the trans, the American transcendentalists and the Eastern philosophies are, are probably trying to um, accomplish the same thing, but I think that the transcendentalists are 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 trying to get there through sheer will power through through the power of man. Whereas in Eastern philosophy, it's more about um, sort of having things revealed to you, or about the universe. I think that the role of the individual effort is not emphasized in quite the same way. No, no, it's not. It affects one of the things one reads in looking at the history of the transcendental movement is that there are people who have written, well, you know, this is like the opposite of what you do when you theorize. You theorize and then you come to some perceptions. No, the transcendentalists insisted on the perception. In, uh, perceive, perceive first, then theorize afterward. Right. Um, and so, yeah. So I've jumped way ahead. So I'll, <laughs> I'll return to the original question, which right was, um, who were some of the major characters, and what did they contribute? So, what okay. were some of Emerson's um, works? I guess we can start there, right? Yeah, uh, Emerson. Well, he 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 put together a number of uh, essays and lectures. Emerson was a lecturer. And he tried ideas out in his lectures, and he was known for the difficulty of his of his language uh, that was twisty turny, uh, maybe even quantum like. Even though nobody had the word at the time, and so sometimes that put audiences off. <clears throat> he was doing audience testing; he was trying to figure out. So finally, when he published his first and second set of essays in the early eighteen forties, he'd he'd rethought how to present this people and and the the so if you if you look up uh, emerson's essays you'll find that uh, they are still in print um but the individual titles are the ones that are are more interesting um the oversoul uh, is one um uh, self-reliance um the um oh what's, what's the uh, jump to th- uh, thoreau civil disobedience hmm. 
Emerson wasn't talking so much about that, but Thoreau picked up on that and, and carried it a little bit further. Um, and I, I have a list of them here, but I've got to find it on my phones. Uh, uh, and it's paining me that it, they're not just hopping to mind. The essays of Ralph Waldo Emerson, but um, that uh, first series and second series, it's not, it's not anything that you would necessarily remember, but, but self-reliance was an essence, an essential uh, one. And, oh, help me out, Joel, because you've been reading it too. <laughs> well, and we don't have to cover all of them in depth, but um, we can also... Nature. Nature. Yeah, yeah. That nature is the, the was the big one mm -hmm. until self-reliance. And where he was trying to explain what the whole role of nature was. <clears throat> and, and, and Thoreau picked up on that. Or more actively for for Emerson, it seemed to be this this whole the gestalt this this pulling together you 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 as you become one with nature, you realize what the collective how the collective of human beings can be improved toward a better realization of God. Mm. There was never for Emerson a loss of the idea of God. And, that, and that's why it really pains me when people toss the, the word around secular humanism as if this is horrible, unspiritual thing. They don't have a clue. They haven't read. If, if, if they think that, they've been told they haven't pursued it themselves. So how did um, Emerson's perception of God and heaven and some of these other um, typical uh, Christian ideals translate in, in transcendentalism? There was nothing between you and and God, not even sacred text. That's the biggie, because he said uh, people needed to see God for themselves again, not through the eyes of ancient stories, <laughs> but face on. What are you realizing about God in yourself? Are you realizing that God is in yourself? That was kind of a new thing for the for the Western viewpoint. Not, not that God is, is in us, but God, it, there it is. God, people are of God. That God exists within. Is that similar to like a, um, like a pantheism or a pandeism sort of view, or was it different? It's different because because we're back to that Platonic ideal of we talked about a, a week or two ago, all talking about time, uh, the eternalism notion. That everything is one, uh, a zero world, which was this idea in mathematics that uh, zero equals everything. Hmm. Um, and and in in this case, it's that uh, when you come to the realization that all human beings, it's not saying we're all brothers and sisters. Even that's too distant, you know, because it's putting people in separate little cases. <laughs> that that we are all one in uh, the spiritual reality of God, because God is everything. And, and if the first thing you think is, whatever I do is going to affect everyone. That's a vastly different viewpoint than what am I, what am I doing for myself? Hmm. Unless what you're doing for yourself is to better everyone else. And, and and that's what I sort of was getting at with my disjointed um, 
ant documentary <laughs> interjection, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Was, it did a good job of demonstrating how, okay, this, the leaf cutter ants, they cut these leaves, um, which are actually poisonous. And then they take them down and then they plant them and then they grow a certain type of fungus. And then that fungus is harvested and eaten. And, you know, the army ants come through and they steal this. And then, you know, this bee pollinates this plant and this falling tree will cause this and how basically the entire rainforest um, biome, right, all interacts together. But specifically, um, you know, you can see a colony of ants, up to half a million individuals, sort of acting as one thing, yep. right? Yep. This, And so there you have sort of this mini um, illustration of the oversoul, right, for things that the transcendentals probably wouldn't consider as having souls. <laughs> but, but regardless, right, you see individuals operating as one thing. And then you zoom out a little bit and you see those ants serving as one entity within the biome of the forest, right? And then the forest operating as one entity within the biome of civilization and, and on and on and on. This is something we'll be talking about a few weeks from now when we examine um, some other episodes that we've had in the works. So yeah, it's interesting yeah. that the, the listener um, request for this week um, dovetails so well with some of the future episodes we're going to be looking it, it, at. It is. The, the the thing that you, you were just talking about brought me to this while I was pushing down through my notes. Uh, um, for transcendental philosophy through Emerson and into Thoreau and the others in between, and then in, on into the literary, other literary work, uh, uh, Whitman's poetry. Whitman's poetry is transcendentalism writ into uh, the, the songs of poetry it's, itself. But, Transcendental philosophy is, is the premise is that the truth is innate in all of creation, and that knowledge of it is intuitive rather than rational. And this is where they were going back to Kant. Uh, Kant says, "I call all knowledge transcendental, which is concerned not with objects, but with our mode of knowing objects." And and so the I- idea was in flipping. Uh, how you know things. Mm. And that's pretty big. That's the American. <laughs> you want to tar- tag it as American. There, there it is. It's the flipping into the intuitive. Yeah. I feel. <laughs> yeah. And again, we think of, I think that we think of transcendentalism as something that is frozen in history, mm-hmm. but it's very much something, especially what you just said is something that is on the cutting edge of some theories of of physics and consciousness that we're going to be exploring in the coming Mm -hmm. weeks so very interesting um so we've talked about emerson um is there any other people or any other works that you think are foundational to transcendentalism that we should cover before we move on thorough thorough he wrote wrote civil disobedience which is one of the It's a really punk rock title for a book. Yeah, like, that's pretty wild. It's amazing. And I went back and re and <clears throat> reread it just before Christmas. I was curious. I just did. <clears throat> and civil disobedience is the, the the rock on which so much social justice work has been based. And and and, and it affected Martin Luther King and it affected Gandhi and on and on and on. Uh, much later. Um but the, but the idea that you don't cooperate with unjust laws. This is what POs, people, 
who want to uh, paint all protest in the United States as as anti-law, as as anti-just, as as disrupting the system. Sit down and shut up. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of the United States has become. And I say this because I know there are other people on the planet listening to this podcast besides us. It's not to bash the United States. It's just saying we're, we're going through a phase. I hope it's an adolescent phase. Our pimples will get popped and we'll, we'll get on with things. But it, it's, it's, it, we're back to Thoreau, who was brilliant at this idea that you say no, but you don't have to beat people up by saying it. Yeah, so civil disobedience, living at Walden Pond. I'm just going to throw us out there. Was was throw the first hippie or <laughs> <laughs> probably? Well, there have been there have obviously been people who who have said that, um, and and he sort of cut corners. You know, he went out to live uh, on his own uh, on this marvelous uh, along this pond. He made all kinds of observations and wonderful writing. But people came along and gave him pie. And some cousins who brought him food. I mean, it's listening. He wasn't. He was. So, so then again, it takes on this idea of self-reliance and goes to another hot topic word that just POs people these days, which is or phrase. It takes a village. Hmm. You can be self-reliant and still depend on your village. How about that? How about the complicated idea that individuals do not do everything themselves? Anybody who's ever said. That I did everything myself in order to raise my my station in life is lying because there's always someone who has helped people along, and that's part of what 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 Thoreau uh, essentially is pointing out. He does admit that people bring him pie <laughs> and and those kind of things, and you know that I, I, hippie. I don't know. I don't. He wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm joking, but but no. I think that this. So you have this idea of the oversoul and this connection among human beings, but also this idea of self reliance. I think that's sort of what you were just demonstrating yeah. really well, um, in as part of the philosophy, right? Is you can be self reliant, but every everybody is still connected. We still all, you know, interact. So what's the what's one of the classic? What do you think is one of the classic quotations by Thoreau about that Thoreau, the, the words that Thoreau said that are quoted so much? If a man does not keep pace with his, can you fill this out, with his companions, perhaps it's because he hears a different drummer. Hmm. Let him step to the music which he hears, however measured or far away. <laughs> That's embraceive. Yeah. Every human being has his own music. There, there was a comedy show. One, I, I cannot pin the comedian. I can't give them credit, and I apologize. But it was wondrous, and it stayed with me. This, the comedian says, "How would the world be different if we, as we came into a room, our favorite song was playing? It just played as we entered the room, or the soundtrack, whatever movie is most important to us. That, that, that played as we came in the door. How would we look at each other? How would we understand each other?" How would we smile and and get over ourselves because we realize, oh, that's what that's who you are. Well, that's that moment. That's who you are. But that, that's part of what's listening to the different drummer. We're all playing music. We th- th- this is where uh, transcendentalism, I think, in Thoreau and 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 even in the current uh, 
there are lots of musical songs. If you listen to them, I, I, here's a thing, a fun thing to do. Anybody who's listening, go out and, and do a quick search, uh, transcendental pop music. And when you come to the, the people that are listed and you look at the lyrics and you say, Oh, it's alive and well. Right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but this idea that we all need each other and we all need each other to be better with each other. That's what's coming back. This book group that I, the, the uh, Warsaw Public Library is a science fiction and fantasy book group. It's a marvelous group of people. I love talking with them every month. Young people, middle aged people old wizards like me and and we and and the the youngest of the groups this week said we are tired of the bs we are tired of not being connected to people we come to this because we want to talk to people about books because we want to have connection we are tired of being disconnected that's transcendentalism yeah yeah no that would that's that's really great. And I've been a guest on a, a lot of podcasts recently. And what I'm finding is some of my favorite ones are are the music podcasts, mm -hmm. right? Because you do. You you find out a lot about people and, and, and about their beliefs through through it. But um so Thoreau and Emerson, um, and they were actually friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um was there anybody else you wanted to cover before we No. Okay. So where did transcendentalist views we so i mentioned earlier in the episode that we we'd revisit this where did their views on knowledge fall um between respecting science but also having this individual intuition about knowledge how how did they reconcile these these ideas to essentially say that's a it's a it's a great question because it, <laughs> i'm reading my scribbles i actually dealt with this to essentially say that we can we can learn from the observations we make from nature but but the the point of of learning these things is to rethink what we do as humans and what our what our path is uh, it, it's and 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 this this idea that um uh, that there's something that's going on behind the actual experience this is what drives science you and i have talked about this so this is the rovelli uh, stuff writ large i think um uh, kant said sensations have a matter or content and a form sensations have a form space is the form of the outer senses and time is the form of the inner sense. I'm doing this to try to pull together these yeah. weeks we've been talking. Space is the form of the outer senses. Time is the form of the inner sense. And the transcendentalists are talking about the inner sense. Space and time are not entities in the world discovered by the mind. The, they are the pattern into which the senses mold experience. I brought this into our conversation today because it pulls a lot of stuff together. Mm. And it also, I, I thought immediately of you when I reread this thing from Kant earlier this week. I was saying, okay, Joel works in a business that uses molds all the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. So, so if, if that mold is formed, 
the senses, what's going into that mold? Rubber, plastic, whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right. In his, in this kind of saying the, the metaphorically, uh, the pattern into which the senses mold experience experiences the rubber, experiences the plastic, but the senses are what's shaping. The senses are the mm. mold. Yeah, yeah, that's really that's really wild because again, this is part of the reason that I got into psychology, and it's one of the most interesting things about philosophy, right? Is the limitations of of the senses, and again. I, I don't know if you've been reading uh, Donald Hoffman's have, book, yeah, but yeah. this is this is exactly the stuff we're going to be talking about that I'm really excited about in the next few weeks is is this idea that our senses are our senses telling us about reality or are they hiding reality from us? And that that second thought sounds a little bit counterintuitive, right? But that's still sort of encapsulated in the term transcendentalism, right? Mm -hmm. It's going beyond what is just there to, to try to discover the meaning behind what's what's happening. And yep. Kant was was uh, intimately involved in that as well. So yeah, I think that it's um and I was I was reading a passage um from the Dalai Lama the other day where mm. he was talking about how um Buddhism ha is evolving with science, right? And what they're finding is that, you know, what can be what can be proven is always going to take precedence over what was espoused in the past. Right. And so you take, you know, as things as your knowledge evolves, you your beliefs evolve. Yes. Right. And then you you come to know things in a, in a new way. And so that's all I think that sort of is a good summation of how the transcendentalist viewed, you know, understanding integrating science and intuition together as yes. well take what comes see how you encounter it it's always about your encounter it's the requirement uh, of of your encounter with it, 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 it thoreau said i went to the woods because i wished to live deliberately deliberately hmm. not just on cruise control which he wouldn't have said they didn't have it to front only the essential facts of life hmm and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, what life, what the facts were that I was encountering. What am I learning by being out in nature? And it, it's not, if you read Walden, if, it, it's not just about the things you think it would be about. It's not just about how do I eat. Uh, uh, and, and see if I could not learn what I had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover I had not lived. Uh, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lives within us. Hmm. You know, so the, the, what do we find out about ourselves by going for a long walk? Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is what we've been talking about in our, our episodes on time, mm -hmm. right? When we were talking about the present moment and, and how the past and the future are integrated into our conceptions of reality and our subjective experiences and, and how to, make meaningful use of them while not while staying in the moment and being deliberate about about how we live so very interesting um i'm going to revisit another point that we talked about earlier that we sort of put off on and that is where do you land on transcendentalism's view that individuals are good but organizations are are corrupting right? <laughs> 
I I have become more transcendentalist the older I have become and the experiences that have accrued. Uh, it's no secret to you because you've heard me say it before. My wife has, many students have. I, to me, all institutions, when they start concentrating on their own growth instead of, and their perpetuation, instead of what they were launched to do, what they were, uh, makes them corrupt. I'm transcendental that way. So say that thing again you said? You did. Yeah, yeah. So their view is that the individuals are good or pure and that organizations are, are corrupt. Right. I don't think every individual is good or pure and I don't think every organization is absolutely corrupt. But we're not, it's a, but it's a it's a flow. It's a process. Mm. I think that individuals have the capacity to reach into themselves for the goodness that is there. Transcendentalists don't think that people were born sinful, that people were born broken, that people were had to be redeemed and all of this. The people in their infant self have the capacity to develop a goodness. And I do believe in that. Uh, it's been good for me this week to go back to transcendental, transcendentalism with, as a particular focus because um, it is an optimistic thing. It's not simple optimism. A lot of work is involved, but it is ultimately, you, you, you read enough of Thoreau and Emerson or going back through it and you, you know, we can manage despite yeah. all the nonsense that we're dealing with now, despite everybody trying to pull people down, some part of the human experiment is probably going to go forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you and I have talked about that off the air about, you know, certain developments because, mm -hmm. you know, even when we're not recording podcasts, we're still philosophers, right? Right. So, <laughs> so we right. talk about things that are going on in the world and things that, that are going on in the future. And, and that's the view that I've always taken as well is that, um, you know, when you look at, at the history of humankind, what you see is that progress is inevitable, right? So no matter what, um, dark thing you're facing in the present. Um, and that, and that's not to say that people won't lose their lives and that terrible things no, won't happen, no, but that on a whole progress is inevitable. Right. It just, that's the way that it is, has been. Right. And so I'll bring back the ants last time I promised. Um, I, I've got but, a thorough thing about ants. So I'm going to talk to you. Yeah. So I think that it, it <laughs> highlights sort of the, sim, the simplistic view, right? This idea that, okay, well, is the individual pure? Um, and you and I were talking about this before the podcast, right? Um, everybody is born with certain struggles certain things that, that are wrong so i think in, in every way some of us are are you know you could you could cast it pejoratively and say broken or you could say are different we all have differences right absolutely and that affect our development yeah. and so some people um, as individuals may develop and, and appear to be pure and some may appear to be malevolent and organizations are similar right i think that there's you can highlight organizations that, that bring out the best in people mm -hmm. and then organizations that um, get focused on their own growth and, and you know, uh, become malignant. Um, but I think 
overall, and again, this is, I think that this might tap more into the Eastern side of things, is that it, it's just all interdependent, right? So with the ants, you know, you have the individual ants and, okay, well, some of them are, you know, it might appear to be, they may appear to corrupt the individual if it's causing the individual harm to itself, right? If an ant chooses to just build a bridge with its body and sacrifice itself for other ants, for the organization to move on. And, and what's the goal of the organization? Only to reproduce, really, and to continue doing what it's doing. So it's just growth-based, right? Uh -huh. There's no idealistic or altruistic goal of ants, right? Um, but there's there's a lot of complexity there, right? And I yeah. think that, that but it, it's all... <clears throat> It's it's an interconnection, right? So to say that the individual is is pure and organizations are corrupting, well, that's sort of that's too simple. It's blind to the fact that the individual is interconnected with many many organizations throughout their life, and so now the question is chicken or egg, right? Yeah, yeah. Does the individual become pure because of positive organizations that guide us throughout its life, mm -hmm. or and you know, does, does the individual in turn guide that organization when it starts to go astray? Right, right. Or does the purity of, of certain individuals forming an organization cause it to be pure, or is it is it um, is it a in an in, an inbred part of people, or in a, you know an integral part of people that when they're formed into an organization, corrupting factors emerge. You know, it's it, a very complex. This, question. It's a very complex thing, and people say this mimic thing all the time. It really has a truth in it that is much more worthy than a meme. We are all works in progress. And that's so commonly said in other people that you, people say it without even, what do you mean by that? If you're a work in progress, who's doing the work? Hmm. Everyone else doing the work on you? Are you a, 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 a piece of material that an artist is working on? Or are you working on yourself? If we are works in progress and we're working on ourselves, that's transcendental. So it's a transcendental phrase that is found its about ants. Thoreau says it's not enough to be busy, so are the ants. The question is, what are we busy about? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, he didn't know the things that, that people have found out about ants over the years. That was from his time. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think that, again, we're highlighting the sort of the, the idiosyncratic views of, yeah. of transcendentalism yeah. and, and Eastern philosophy, right? I think a transcendentalist you 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 view as the individual as working on themselves and as the individual as as the captain of their own destiny right mm -hmm. and as choosing their way through life um whereas and and so okay there's there's overtures to the over soul right <laughs> but I think that I think the eastern philosophy takes that a bit further right where you you're really just you're in the current right you things are connected in such a way that you know the recognition, the recognition of of where your place is, allows you to become the better person rather than um, the effort on on your own part. Yeah, uh, I, that's well said. So, last question: We talked about at the very beginning. Where do you see traces of transcendentalism in America today? I see it in the social justice movement. Um. In people who who are 
in all kinds of ways, and not just in the, this country, but across the world, but in all kinds of ways, are saying, right in front of our eyes, we can see things that are going on that we know affect us, and that can affect us toward the good or toward the, but what, don't just not see things and cruise control on what are, are each of your encounters about. I think people who are asking those things are, are the world is replete with people. The country is replete with people who, who, who are doing this. So I see it there. I see it in pop cultural music. Yeah, I can list some of them if you want. <laughs> but I think if you just do the game, which I did for myself, is ah, what's considered a transcendental song? And, you know, some of them I thought, nah, maybe not. But most of them that came up, cool. And, and, and then you listen to it and you really listen to the lyric. And I know a lot of people know lyrics. I always had trouble with lyrics. I couldn't sort them out when I was listening to them younger. But it, now we can print lyrics out. We can look at them on the screen with somebody singing them. And you think, yeah, if you really pay attention to this, this is saying, don't get over yourself. Get through yourself <laughs> to see what's really happening. Um, so I, I, I see it happening in, in the poetry of Mary Oliver, in so much literature of the 20th, 20th century, Mary Oliver's 20th to 21st century. I, I see it in, 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 in the work of Margaret Atwood. I see it in Carlo Rovelli. Uh, and, and it's just, I, all of the elements are there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because the very, you know, etymology of the term, right? Transcendentalism, this idea of going beyond something. Mm -hmm. It, I think that intuitively, many of us sort of feel like, like the, the young person in your book group said, right? That that's what's being lost in, in modernity. This, it, there's, there's nobody going beyond the sort of day to day autonomic grind and and there's this disconnection between people and that's what's interesting the interesting parallel right mm -hmm. is between this oversoul this interconnection between all mankind but also this um rugged individualism and self-reliance that appears to be um it almost it almost sounds isolationist in nature but it's really not mm -hmm. they're connected in that way in that that way of transcending right you have to get beyond the autopilot, right? Beyond the automatic grind, beyond all of the things that we have in, in modern society that keep us apart from one another. Beyond the distraction. Yeah. It, it, Emerson said, man is surprised to find that things near are not less beautiful and wondrous than things remote. The near explains the far. The drop is a small ocean. A human being is related to all nature. So, in Perry, in Fillmore, where I grew up, in Warsaw, wherever, in in, in Beirut, and and in this podcast, in this podcast, right? Yeah. It's just you and me. But now we have a listener who has introduced this topic, and every week we talk to, you know, now we're into thousands of of people who are in some ways sharing this conversation 
with us, right? So in some way, we're all engaging with one another, even if right here, right now, it's all in, in a talk between individuals. Yeah, yeah it, it, again, the, so many things have become so trite in, in a cynical way or, or you know, we're, we're, we're just so aware <laughs> and that we're not. Um, you know, it's that he, he says it's, it's easy to live in the world. It's easy in the world to live after the world's opinion. It is easy in solitude to live after our own opinion, but the great person is the one who, in the midst of the crowd, keeps with perfect sweetness the independence of solitude. <laughs> Can I be balanced? There's the Eastern. But it's not just Eastern, but that's, that's the, the, the root of it. Can I be balanced? Keep myself and still be wholly involved the people around me. Can I compromise? Can I have a discussion with somebody without, oh, you're this, I hate you, you're done. Hmm. <laughs> and I think that that's what, that's part of what the, the, in the book group we were talking about. Uh, he said something else I want you to hear because it's about what we, you were talking about earlier. Science does not know its debt to imagination. Hmm. It's just, Science doesn't understand how much it owes to imagination. Well, I think some scientists do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that was kind of pouty, but <laughs> no, but I think it's a good point, right? On a whole, um, we, we give scientists this cold calculating character. Um, but what we have to realize is that at the basic level, right? The very first part of any scientific endeavor is hypothesis generation, right? And what's hypothesis generation other than an act of creativity by a human saying, well, what if, or why does, right? Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. from there, setting up processes and procedures that can empirically provide evidence for that hypothesis. Yeah. But the initial part, right? They don't just come from nowhere, right? It's, <laughs> it's an act of creativity. So I think that that is right on. I do. But yeah, no, as is an excellent point that, uh, you know, I, that I, I like the way that you tied that together with um you know talking about how uh, you know maintaining your individualism while also realizing that everybody's connected and transcending past the barriers right and the barriers uh, uh, one of the barriers i think that all of these writers are saying and i think that this is a realization that's happening again now is that you never change uh, that <laughs> we must never change we must never go forward you must go back you must you are who you are and that's just it no that's that that's as if we're all static we know better than that hmm. we can change moment to moment we do change moment to moment we can see something and it can completely flip what we might think about the world but we have to realize that we've seen it yeah i was listening to a podcast this week and and one of the the scientists they were interviewing said the best scientists change their minds often and drastically. <laughs> <laughs> but that is with the caveat that it's in response to new evidence, right? You yes. know, it's always about what what is what is um, the new evidence that that is leading you to to change your mind and, and not getting stuck in in the past. And that's what transcend transcendentalism embodied, right? Was these the views of the universalist church, the Unitarian Church, and how those beliefs didn't 
you know, corroborate what was happening with science and then viewing science and realizing that, that that's not telling the whole picture about how we come to know things and then looking into yourselves and into nature and finding that your subjective intuitions have value, but then in the same time, you're connected to everything and everyone around you <laughs> and putting, putting all the pieces together. When I went to a universalist, a Unitarian Universalist church, the UU church, it's called, long ago, uh, in this particular case, eyes opened wide and I smiled and I laughed and I said, oh, yes, I like this. It was a hymn to evolution. Hmm. It was a hymn about the, the primal soup. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people who would say, what? <laughs> Uh, I initially said, what? That's not an experience that I, but I like this because it opened my, it cracked open the science imagination duality. It just cracked open the waters flew into each other. Yeah. That's probably mean I, I got entropic in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is a fantastic discussion. I, I was actually, it was a lot more interesting than I even expected that it could be. So. I'm really glad that this was suggested. And if you yes, have any you for suggestions for episodes that you'd want to hear us talk about, again, just send us an email to from nowhere to nothing podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, keep on.